0: Today's scripture reading is from James chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that as we look into your word, that you speak and by your grace, you help us to listen. We thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. Give us hearts that are like tilled soil and that receive the the seed of your word and let it grow and bear fruit amen amen the July issue of Maclean's magazine has a cover story that's titled the end of home ownership and the tone of the article is is very dire actually it talks about a, a housing crisis in our country but it uses other language too it talks about a catastrophe, actually. It talks about a disaster as well. All those words the author uses to describe our housing situation in Canada. Uh, In May 2023, a survey by the Globe and Mail found that that more than half of respondents between the ages of 20 and 40 were angry or even furious about the, the housing market emotion That's strong emotions, and and, and with it bitterness and and outrage. Uh, It's a divisive issue. Here's a quote from the article. As the promise of home ownership is denied to Canadians, new fractures will grow between young and old, between neighbors, between regions, and between political factions. The author says that our, our country is fractured along these lines and, and it will be more and more and of course this is true of, of, of our city of Toronto um, and of southern Ontario and many other places. And it will get worse, that's the, that's the article, it's, it's bad and it's going to get worse. Um, I don't know how you feel hearing that kind of thing, we, we, we hear this kind of thing, don't we? I don't know how you, how, how you feel. I felt stressed reading this article, like what is going to happen to our city? What's going to happen to our neighborhood? Um, how, how can this go on? How can it possibly get, get worse? Well, we're looking at the letter of James uh, together right now and over this summer. And James knows about economic hard times. He does. He's the leader of the church in Jerusalem at the time of writing, and this letter was likely written in the in the 40s or the 50s A.D. And we know from church history that Jerusalem at that time has endured years of famine and drought. And with it, rising cost of living, right? An affordability crisis, food insecurity. And the church in Jerusalem was buckling under that pressure, that intense pressure. And I mean, amazingly, from this church of all places, from this Jerusalem church, a word of wisdom goes out to churches in the whole surrounding region, to the, to the, to the Israel of God, as the opening lines say of this letter. A word of wisdom to diverse churches with, with poor and wealthy living together, the poor and wealthy kind of in tension together and, and, and conflict and difficulty and resentment among them. A word of wisdom comes from James to these churches, because James is a wise pastor, and he knows that what the people of God need to hear, what they need more than anything, even with all kinds of economic pressure, what the people of God need is to find rest in Jesus Christ and to find their security in Christ. And even to boast in Christ. And that's what we need to. We need that, Grace West. We need to hear that word of wisdom and to lay it to heart. Now, here's the big idea this morning. In the gospel, the lowly are exalted and the wealthy are brought low. Therefore, wherever we find ourselves, the call is the same, boast in Christ. Boast in him. And this boasting looks different for different people. As James says, let those with humble circumstances boast in their exaltation, and let those with wealth boast in their humiliation <laughs> to the glory of God. Point one, first point, let's look at this together. In the gospel, the lowly are exalted. So let the lowly boast in Jesus Christ. James says, verse 9, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Now, we, we should ask, who is the lowly brother, the lowly sister? So James is the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And we know that from Acts chapter 9, that there was a, a persecution broke out against the Jerusalem church, and many church members were scattered to other places in the region. And James is writing to these scattered communities of Jesus' followers. He's a pastor, and he has to pastor people from a distance now. He's doing that through letter. Many of these people fled from their homes. They had to leave their jobs behind. They had to leave their communities behind. For many of them now, life is uncomfortable, life is difficult they're they're like lowly in in employment they become lowly in housing lowly in relationships they don't have social or economic advantages they have disadvantages they want to be full but they're empty and i wonder what about us grace west we have people in our church from all kinds of backgrounds Diverse backgrounds. Diverse circumstances. And some of you here today feel empty. And maybe it is the housing market. Maybe you've, you've watched this market with dismay over the past years. You've watched the, the prices climb and climb and, and, and move out of reach. Even like in places that are too small to raise a family. are are in the 600s, 1,000 and going up. What's more, many many people in our city feel trapped in in a a rental situation that's not ideal, but you can't move because the rents everywhere have gone up so much that if you were to move, your your cost of of living would, would drastically increase immediately. Many people in our city feel stuck. Maybe it's not the housing market for some of us. Maybe, maybe it's work that doesn't pay what you need. It's not enough. It leaves you empty. Maybe it's relationships. Other people have that. They have their friends. They have a spouse. Everything, everything just kind of works out for other people. And you want that. You want that kind of connection intimacy, but you feel empty. For James, writing this letter in, in, in the original audience, the lowly, to be sure, it, it includes the refugees, the orphan, the widow, those who have fled persecution. That's still true today, as, as the people of God read this letter. But more, it's not, it's not just those people who were who are obviously Um, lowly in those ways. It's it's, it's a a broader category of many people and in our diverse church as well. And what's surprising is that, that God himself identifies with the lowly. Did you know that? In Proverbs, it says this. Listen, this is what God says. Whoever mocks the poor, whoever insults the poor insults his maker which is a, a a totally radical concept coming from the ancient world in the ancient world everyone believed that god identified himself with the wealthy they're high because why because god put them there so if you insult them you insult god the ruling class that's who that, that that's who is identified with with the God and the gods and the divine beings, but we find it, it is ju- just the opposite in the scriptures of Israel. We still see this actually today in, in um, Hinduism, for example. The Brahmin caste traditionally are the the priests and the scholars. They are the ones who are who are closest to the gods. And the Dalits, the scheduled castes, are low. Traditionally, no one. From, that, from, from those groups would ever be a, be a priest or ever be seen as, as, as being close to the, to, to the gods or, or having, having spiritual wisdom. The scriptures of Israel say no. God identifies himself with the lowly. If you insult the Dalit person, God would say, the lowly and marginalized, and if you insult them, you insult me, according to the word of God. God calls himself the father of the fatherless, the defender of the widow. He's the husband of the woman without a husband. He's the defender of the weak. And what is all through the scriptures of the Old Testament, God's heart for the lowly, all through the scriptures, you see in flesh and blood in Jesus Christ. He was lowly in every way. He was born into a, a very poor family. He was a he was a carpenter, and when we when we read that, we we tend to think right that's a that's a skilled trade. We sort of picture this kind of middle class cabinet maker or some I don't know what notion comes into your your mind, but no, we think when you hear carpenter, what that means in the ancient context, original context, think day laborer, think um, low income. No savings, like working hand-to-mouth, dependent on being hired day by day, Um, vulnerable. That was his work. And then when he began his ministry, Jesus lived with housing insecurity. He did not, foxes have holes and birds have nests. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head, he said. Housing insecurity, food insecurity... And who could be his peer? Who, could, who, who is his equal? Who could he confide in? No one. He was lonely. He carried the weight of leadership alone. He never had a marriage partner. For you, this morning, if life feels empty, not full, you should know that Jesus understands you. And it is no coincidence that he lived a lowly life that was lowly in every way. It was so that he might draw near to the lowly people in every kind of lowly circumstance and you, with perfect compassion, with perfect understanding, draw near to the lowly and raise them up by his power. Simply through faith, the lowly person becomes a daughter of the kingdom and a son of the great king. Simply by faith, the lowly person is raised up into his victory. As Canadians, we saw a glimpse of this in the Olympic Games in 2014. And I've, I've told this story before, but it, it moves me every, every time. Alexander Bilodeau was a French-Canadian freestyle skier. After winning the gold medal in the men's moguls, the first thing that he did was beeline for the spectator sidelines, and he went right up to his brother, he bear-hugged him, pulled him over the fence, draped the, can- the victory flag, the Canadian flag, around both their shoulders, and they're, 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 <laughs> they're like shouting and laughing and, and looking into the camera together, together, shoulder to shoulder, Alexander's brother is named Frederick, and Frederick has cerebral palsy. He cannot do what his brother does. He can't ski the moguls. When he was born, the medical opinion was that he would not be able to walk past age 10. But none of that mattered on February 13th, 2014. None of that mattered on that day, because... His brother, Alex, won the victory and pulled him in to the victory, brought him over the sidelines and put the champion's flag on on his shoulder. And they laughed like little boys (laughs) together. And so Jesus does for you. So he does for you. You may have difficult circumstances. You might be insignificant in the eyes of the world lowly but ultimately that doesn't matter ultimately what matters is that simply through faith in Jesus Christ simply by faith Jesus is your brother and your brother is a champion he is he won the victory and it's not not a victory against other skilled athletes It's a victory against death and sin. You cannot win that victory. You cannot. But he can, and he did. And he brings you in. He brings you in to his victory. It's his joy to pull you over the sidelines, and you have the flag of a champion on your shoulders. It's his flag, but it's yours too. Because he won it for you. That's the whole point. To bring you into it. He won the victory for you. So what do you do then? The application is um, not not this, uh, any kind of burdensome, difficult thing. What do, you, what do you do? You boast in him. You boast in him. You receive his victory. Simply receive it. Simply embrace it. You have something to boast about. You have something to take pride in. You've got a reason to stand tall. And it's not anything that you did. It's what he did. It's not your circumstances. It's your brother. It's his victory. It's his brilliance. And it's the victory he shares with you, simply by faith. In the gospel, the lowly are exalted. So let the lowly boast in him, in Jesus. Second point in the gospel, the wealthy are brought low, so boast in Christ, verse nine again, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Now, who are the rich? We should ask if you pick up any commentary um, if you people who study the Book of James and write about it, um, if you read anyone, they will point out that most of the audience reading this letter, the original audience, are poor. They're lowly, but not all of them. Chapter 2, James says this in, in, in chapter 2, we'll, we'll, we'll hear this sermon in a few weeks' time, but just uh, looking ahead. James says, suppose a man comes into your, into your assembly, your church gathering, wearing a gold ring, and fine clothing do not give him preferential treatment compared to the poor man evidently the church gatherings were, were 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 mixed evidently there could be some well-off people who were wearing their nice clothes of course they were later on in chapter 4 James says this he says Listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go to this or that city, we'll spend a year there, we'll carry on business, we'll make a profit, you who talk that way, your boasting is evil, James says. Don't boast like that. Evidently, the church had some people who were like traveling merchants and who could travel here and there and make a profit and, um, and boast about it. And James calls them out: "You who talk that way." What you see when we look at the whole letter of James is that there are some people in the Christian community who wear fine clothing. There are some people, not the majority, but some who are who are like merchants. Some are landowners. Some own, own properties, maybe multiple properties. Um, they're not the lowly by the world's standards. They have wealth, they have equity, they have influence. And at Grace West, we're, we're a diverse church. That same description describes some of us here today. Over the past years, some and, and, and many in, in, in Toronto have been watching the housing market with dismay, but others, and some of us here who already own property, you've watched your net worth like soar over the past years. Thinking of McLean's magazine again, um, every every issue for years now, every issue has a section of of the magazine that's called Habitat. And it features glossy photos of, of people's homes across this country. Um, because as a country, we're like obsessed with real estate, aren't we? <laughs> we are so you so you you can you can look in this section of the magazine at like the the nordic cottage that someone has built on top of a mountain in Quebec or you can look at the the newly renovated tribute to the 1970s which has got like shag carpet and glass ceilings and uh orange furniture you can look at that with glossy the photos. You can look at li- literally a treetop house in British Columbia with floor-to-ceiling windows to give a to give a clear view of the, I don't, I don't know, the Douglas firs all, all around, right? Um, the unspoken message by the, 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 the those who get to show off their homes, the unspoken message is look at my house. I'm the kind of person who lives in this kind of house. And what does that say about me? Interesting. Kind of, kind of trendy. Kind of uh, eco-conscious, and so on. F- fill in the blank, right? Look at me, is the message. And it seems to me that as a country, we're looking. Yeah, we're looking. We like to look. We're all looking at the houses. And if you don't own one, you want to own one. And if you if you do own one, you want a better one. With interesting design choices and, and with, with modern fixtures or with retro fixtures, I, I don't know, pick your preference. As a country, we are impressed by homes, by houses. And as as Grace West, if we're going to be a mature church, if we're going to grow, we need to Look at the Word of God more than we look, more than we look at the houses. We need to look at James, for example, and we need to listen to him because James can look at the same thing, all the houses, and he is not impressed. James is not. He's not impressed. Do you know what James thinks? He thinks that is the rich boasting in their riches, that is worldly boasting. And he is not impressed. It's not impressive, not from his perspective. Both then, in the ancient world and now, the surrounding culture, the general culture, admires wealth. It cherishes wealth and, and the status, and the power, and the reputation. If, if you have wealth, you boast in it, even perhaps quietly, quietly inside the heart, A kind of quiet pride in the heart. And here's what James says to the wealthy person. All of your wealth, all of your equity, all of your future plans and your goals, it's fleeting. All of it. Fleeting. It's here today and gone tomorrow. It's gone. And it won't really matter what you owned, a business, a property, even multiple properties, uh, it won't matter. I've recently taken up gardening. And so far, what, I've, what I'm learning about gardening is that when you tell other people that you have recently taken up gardening, they bring you plants. So, for the past week, I've, actually, I've had a planter in my backyard. I've actually had a number of planters. Um the day that we got it it was lovely it had these like small purple flowers and red flowers all of them blossoms right um, full bloom and I put it outside in my backyard and over the past week it's been one week two things happened over the past week one the backyard gets full sun all day and two we had three like really hot days this week didn't we um, as a result, this plant is not looking so good. Uh, it was beautiful a week ago. Now there's like a lot of petals uh, that are on the ground, not on the, on the branch, on, on, on the, what do you call them? They're not on the plant. They're on the ground. They're like crispy. And I have what resembles a planter of green leaves with no petals. And that, that's the illustration here in our passage. It's fleeting. The beauty of of wealth, uh, right, is so fleeting, like a flower, a delicate little flower. The sun comes up, it's gone. Fleeting. In the world, wealth brings many advantages, but not in the kingdom of God. Now, what will it look like for us to lay this to heart as a church, to to hear this wisdom and lay it to heart? Two things, I think. The one is that we would realize as a church that wealth is temporary and it brings us no advantage before God. None. In the world, if you have wealth, then the world wants you, wants your attention, wants you to look at the advertisements and wants your, your, your presence and your money. Um, in the kingdom of God, your wealth curries no favor, none, whatever. In fact, in the gospel, you realize that what you bring into the church is your sins. And your sins are burdensome. They are burdensome to the Lord Jesus. It, it, it was a costly, costly thing for the Lord Jesus to, to forgive you and to receive you into the church. When you come to him, you don't have assets. You don't have equity. You have liabilities when you come to him. And you have, like, maxed out credit cards, several of them. You have bad credit and a mountain of debt paying, like, how much is it? I don't know, 18% per month? okay. You get the point. And you need Jesus to take it all, to take all of your debt and your bad credit on him, all of your poor decisions, all of your addictive habits. He takes them. He is burdened by them, but he takes them because his shoulders are broad. And that is what he came to do. And that is his joy to do, and to welcome you with a costly welcome into his kingdom so the gospel, you see, absolutely humbles the wealthy person. Wealth can do many things in the world. Wealth can secure possessions and experiences and reputation, all kinds of things. In the kingdom of God, none of that matters, because in the kingdom of God, only Jesus can change your eternal destiny. Only Jesus can give you any spiritual benefit. Your wealth cannot. Cannot buy any spiritual benefit. In fact, it's a spiritual liability most often. Wealth is. Only Jesus can fill your account with spiritual benefits and blessings through the forgiveness of your sin and the presence of the Spirit as a gift in your heart. The gospel absolutely humbles the wealthy person. Salvation is through sheer grace. And as a community, we want we want the gospel to humble us. We want the gospel to to bring us low. We may, may be high in the eyes of the world, but we want it as we come into the into the kingdom, into the church. The gospel brings us low and humbles us. The first. The first point, as I've been saying for the past minute or so, is that we would realize, realize wealth gives no advantage before God. The second application here, the second point, is that the gospel calls the wealthy person to identify with the lowly in their affliction. As human beings, we tend to Focus our, our lives, our attention, our energy on, on how to improve our own selves and our circumstances. It tends to be that we, we give all of our energy and attention to that. That's kind of like the default setting of the human heart. But the gospel is calling us to think not only of ourselves. The gospel is calling us to think of others. And in our church, in Grace West, this this happens organically, it does, Um, in small groups, for example. It was some weeks ago that we had the chance to hear from Julia Smith about how her small group helped one of their members living with housing insecurity, practical help in a time of need. It can look like that, And, and all all other kinds of ways as well. We realize some need um, among our members, and we, and we respond, kind of organically respond. It can look like that, responding to a need. We can also, as well, take the initiative. We can also go out of our own in, in, initiative. Last season, our small groups worked through a study that was titled Gospel Neighboring. And that study led us to think in our small groups about our neighborhoods where we live, and the kinds of organizations that minister to the to the needs of those who are who are lowly around us, um, and how we can support these organizations. As a church, we don't we don't have to like make five new organizations that do different things. No, they're they're, they're around us, where we live in the neighborhoods where we live, not just in Parkdale, all across the city, organizations doing good things, library programs, school, after-school programs, organizations that minister to the, to the poor, food banks, um, all kinds of organizations, community guard, like lots of, okay, it's a lot of things. They're there if we look for them. And we began looking for them in, in our small groups, and it was the first time that we've had this kind of conversation as a church. And I think that if, if we're honest, if many of us are, are, are honest, it's kind of uncomfortable. Because um, where this led to was think like, okay, how can I possibly give myself to volunteer in some of these? According to a season of life and according to what, what works with the family or, or, or so on or our schedules. How can I actually get involved? And it, it felt kind of uncomfortable. It felt it was, it was kind of challenging, right? But as we think about growth as, as, as this church, as this congregation, as we think about fruitfulness, what would fruitfulness look like? Imagine, imagine in our, our, our church a culture of volunteerism, a culture of volunteering to serve in our neighborhoods, wherever that may be. A culture that in our church congregation, we we are going out representing Jesus and the mercy of God's kingdom into our neighborhoods and helping make our communities a better place so that people can see the love and the goodness of God and call upon his name. Imagine that. Can you imagine that? I want to imagine that more. I'm not satisfied. We had a, a season of small group study, and I'm not satisfied. I want more of that. I want us to think about that more together. How could we do this together? I, I want to do this together as a church, congregation, and value that, and, and as a as a culture, like grow in this way together. I want to follow Jesus together. Listen. To the word of God from Philippians. Listen to what it says as I find the page. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross do you hear in that word how jesus with all of the the, the eternal son of god with all of the splendor and glory at the right hand of the Father, emptied himself and of his initiative became lowly to come near to you and I. Of his initiative, he came to love and to serve and to pour out his life even to the point of death. He is our everything. Grace West, let's be a church that boasts in him. Our culture says that Lowly people have nothing to boast about, and that is not true. Not here. That's not true. You have Jesus Christ, so stand tall, men and women. Stand tall. You have the victory flag around your shoulders, so boast in him. Whatever the culture may think does not matter. You boast in him. You have Jesus by faith. Our culture says that wealthy people have many things, many things to boast about, and that is not true. Not in this church. You don't have many things to boast about. You have one thing to boast about. You have Jesus. He is the only thing in your life that's worth boasting about. Nothing else is worth boasting. Jesus is the only thing that you have that will never fade, will never perish that is yours forever, all else fades, all else fades away. From all of our different circumstances, Grace West, let's seek Jesus, let's boast in him, and let's follow him, and let him be our unity together. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for a word this morning that raises us up, We thank you for a word this morning that humbles us. We receive it this morning, Father, but just as a seed falls on the ground, we want this seed to to germinate and to take root and to grow, and that that is in time ahead. And so to that end, we pray that you, you do what you alone can do, which is to give the growth. We look to you, Father, and ask this through Jesus Christ. Amen.